You're listening to Dead Air Podcast, part of SplatterPictures.net. What's up, everybody? Wes, Dead Air Nipe here with Always. Typical Lydia. Today's show, we're going to be doing the 2018 found footage, soon to be classic, Gonjiam Haunted Asylum. Oh, it's that scribble mouth. Oh, it's that scribble mouth. That scribble mouth is so creepy. And I usually don't give in to those sorts of shticks. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's kith and kin to creepy stretch mouth ghost face or uh, weird walk-in contortionists. But scribble mouth, for some reason, scribble mouth gets to me. You know, there is so many things in this film that shouldn't fucking work. I feel. Yeah. And it works. And that moment, I was half in the bag and half. Oh, this is ridiculous. You know, but, but like, but that same sort of like uneasy, uncanny valley chill that comes over you when she's doing it. And that, of course, is giving way to what I consider a relentless scene in this film that just scare, 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 like all this stuff happening all at once that it's just, it works. And when I, I was thinking about the doing my, my sound effect uh, at the beginning of the episode, one day we'll do a super cut of all the ones I've done, but uh, <laughs> how many are going to be wolf howls though? Sadly, I was like, you're probably going to do the scribble mouth thing, right, Wes? You're probably going to do that. And then I said, no, no, you're going to sit and you're going to watch this fucking movie and you're going to find something better to do that's more creative than that. And at the end of the day, once that scene happened, I just said to myself, well, it's got to be this one. It's just, it's got to be. It is probably the first point in this film where I realized I was scared or maybe admitted that I was scared that it was effective that it was working and I know that this film doesn't work for everybody but there's so many things that it does that every other film just like it does that this does just a little differently for some reason and it and it works and it's compelling and it's interesting and at the end of the day some of it is absolutely terrifying little things too uh, I think like the the hands we'll get to it and and the ceiling at the one point like there's things that are just slightly more believable perhaps or more physical but anyway the intro to this film is exactly cookie cutter found footage bunch of YouTubers meeting up <laughs> I mean I think that the beginning of this film is something like we would make we, we would we, we could we could make this and I think that's the beginning of a lot of really good found footage films is when you're about five minutes in and you're like I could make this yeah it is coming off as where a lot of found footage films have come off barring of course things like um, 
the Hell House LLC franchise, which is relying heavily on the fact that this is supposed to be taking place years ago when they're still using larger cameras. Uh, obviously, a lot of the VHS films or all of the VHS films are supposed the, the the conceit is that you're watching these on VHS. And so you're probably recording them on large camcorders. But this even falls further into the realm of digital something like the host for example where you're just sitting watching people on fucking zoom and here you are predominantly watching people recording via their phones or via gopro and it's just like you were watching a gorilla style youtube stream and that's exactly what they're going for and when this film starts off we got some pranksters we got some some kids trespassing into a place they're not supposed to go and it comes off as something that would be easily faked considering um you know the conceit of the movie is you see the ghost and then uh hajun says well that ghost looks pretty real and you're thinking they're sitting there as the audience no it doesn't it looks like a fucking ghost that would be in a movie it doesn't look real but of course the conceit of the movie is it's supposed to look real i do enjoy that he introduces this as if it's a real haunt and the twist folks is that it is it really was a real place a really real place it's since been demolished from what i understand but the gongium uh psychiatric asylum or psychiatric hospital was a real place that people would go to and people there was there's videos online still on youtube of people braving the depths of the haunted asylum in gongium and I love that. I love that. I think going into it must have been even more terrifying for people who had maybe gone there and maybe been scared away, mm-hmm. usually by other trespassers or had, you know, built up the idea because the real life myth was that it was closed because of crazy experiments made by the director. And that is the premise of the story. It like literally wrote itself to the point in which the uh, owner of the property was angry that the film was released because it lowered the value of what he owned. I mean, considering the wreck of the place, I don't think that that value could have got much lower. And I think I get it. In in if the argument was it's just going to attract more trespassers, yeah, it probably fucking did. It definitely did. But I don't think you could have lowered the value of that any lower without burning it down. That actually brings me to something that I was going to save a little bit later into the episode for you, Lydia. But I got a horror experiment for you, a horror question more than anything. We haven't done one of those in a little while. But I couldn't help think about the fact that this asylum was a real place. And this film's conceit is that this place is very haunted. Perhaps one of the most haunted places in the world. CNN sure thinks so. And I was wondering... This building is definitely, they're not going to renovate this and bring it back to life. They're not going to reopen an asylum. They're not going to turn it into a hospital. They're not going to do anything. That building is going to get demolished. It is, it, it is fucking condemned. It is a death trap. You don't want to have anybody in there. What happens to the ghosts when you bust down that house? Do you think that they just stand on the spot? What if it's just a vacant lot for all, they're just going to, all the ghosts are just going to stand there in a vacant parking lot? What do you think? I think the ghosts stay rooted to the spot. I think that there are maybe magnetic rocks or something that is keeping their energies in place. I I think sometimes they can inhabit 
things. So if you took, you know, the the boards of the closet where the young boy was trapped when he died and make something else out of them, perhaps that could have some sort of like imprint. Um, I try and remain a little more healthily skeptical in that this is simply energy in one way or another that is haunting, quote unquote, this area. But on the other hand, the fantastical, like the, the horror fan and horror writer in me really thinks that they're rooted to the spot. Right? So you're going to build something else there or those woods are going to be haunted or something. <laughs> this film is has an interesting place because in the annals of horror, because this is based off of a real place, it kind of reminds me a little bit of the uh, 2009 Japanese film Shock Labyrinth 3D, which is the idea behind that film is that it is a real amusement park that exists within Japan. You can go there. Uh, it's a haunt, but this is the same haunt, the amusement ride, but it's actually haunted. So the ghosts are real in this. And I could see why a movie like that would get made because, yeah, you know, it'd be like, oh, this is great. Get more people to show up to our haunt because they saw this movie. I don't know how, I don't know how well it did over there, but I certainly have it on DVD. So they, they made a buck off me at least. But this is the idea that, you know, this place is this horrible little slice of hell. And I could definitely see that if I was an insane philanthropist, I would only want to buy this property more if it had a scary movie about it. Yeah, no, I, I agree. And whether you could keep it from crumbling into nothing and have some sort of ghost tour there or arrange something. to, So it's not just that you own this vacant thing and you're sitting on it like a dragon on its pile of money <laughs> and it's just rotting and you're chasing trespassers away. Like who would want that? That sounds like a hellish life. That does not sound fun at all, but you want to like do something with it. And I think that's part of the charm of this is in a way they, they did do something with it. They didn't own this property, but they certainly brought some attention to it. But fuck all that, Lydia. Fuck it all to hell or to the haunted asylum. What is this movie? even about anyways this is about being careful what you wish for in so many ways we have ha jun who has this show and like any showman he needs to hype it up a little he needs to weave a yarn he needs to have a story to tell he has to have some sort of uh payoff as well so what he's done is perhaps hyped it up a little too much. Perhaps he's wished for a little too much out of this haunted asylum. You have to just kind of let sleeping ghosts lie and they will do their thing, right? You shouldn't be out there prodding hungry ghosts, dangling little meats in front of hungry ghosts, ghosts bait, if you will. <laughs> he owns the youtube channel horror times and i guess the idea is he and his crew are ghost hunters so i guess imagine if mr beast although i i kind of imagine uh when especially when hanjun's like freaking out towards the end of the film i just kept thinking to myself i wonder if this is how mr beast really is behind the scenes like freaking out at a bunch of people who are just like running around with fucking gopros to support his dumb idea 
of him being like an insane millionaire. But the um the the idea is is this is their big their big shot. They are going to gather a crew together. People that have worked with them before, a couple of people that have don't really even know who they are like wandering in there like is this horror times and they are going to all collectively go to this place and film it live now the reason why they want to do this is because hanju really wants them to hit 1 million views so they can sell that to advertisers and the idea is is the exchange of that i don't really know how accurate this math is but they all seem to think that they'll be getting about five hundred thousand dollars and that roughly works out to you know tens of thousands of dollars if not a hundred thousand dollars each they could in theory divide it all up equally although that's not what they're going to do but there's a lot of money on the line not not so much just like the internet clout, but everyone's got dollar signs in their eyes. I do know that YouTube is based on revenue per thousand views. And you can look at most channels and they'll talk about how much they make per thousand views. And that is strictly from YouTube advertising. That's not from what an advertiser might pay you directly, which is a brand deal or something like that. And that's not what they're talking about. They're talking about just mythical advertisers. So I suspect they're talking about YouTube advertising, Google ads, paying them a, a revenue per million. And, you know, the revenue per million on a channel, like a very popular investing channel, could be $10 that they're getting per thousand views. That's not a lot of money, but you know, if you get a million views, then that could be really good money. So I don't know if their math is accurate because I'd have to go back and figure out what dollar signs they were promising each other as to what they were expecting. Horror and stuff, urban exploration, it's very few people make good money doing that. There are a million and one urban exploration channels on YouTube or people that do creepy stuff. And I know this because I do have a sort of niche horror booktube channel. And I watch a lot of like horror video channels. And I do watch people who talk about horror, you know, sort of folk horror myths and stuff like that on urban legends. They're not very popular channels by and large. Most of them are not very popular, even live streaming ones. You could have at any given time thousands of live streams happening on YouTube right now. And there could be clones of this horror times with like five viewers, if that at all. I guess go to Twitch and you'd see the same thing. Twitch's revenue is even lower. So I don't know what sort of money they were suspecting that they were going to get. But the math doesn't exactly work out. I'd have to write it down and take a look and do the calculations. But I think that they're really setting too high of a bar. I think it's supposed to, at the very least, establish why they would go to such lengths to go to this place, which is, as we had mentioned, condemned and blocked off. There's even, so far, keep trespassers away. They even have police that routinely come to the area to try to discourage people from going into this property. But Lydia, 
we don't get that just yet because there is a little rite of passage that every found footage film needs. And you know what it is. You don't like it. I don't like it. But it's part of it. And you need a good 10 minutes of dudes being bros. Oh, my God. I, I, I am very relieved in this film that they have bungee jumping. That's something you don't see every day. Mm -hmm. That's something you don't see in any of these. Let, let's meet and greet and get drunk and do beer pong or whatever the hell. In an empty restaurant. Most people go to a party and get too drunk and they get hungover. So at least give them that, that they didn't wake up hungover. I was shocked because that is a sloppy. Could you imagine? So as as I say, the the bar is empty. And this is a very tight cast. So you have a couple of uh you have the 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 YouTubers that go missing at the beginning of the film. You have this core group which is seven. You have the director who shows up. And then you have a couple of background characters, but that is fucking it. They don't even have any extras in this restaurant. It is just seven people. Just if I was the wait staff there, I'd be like, God, if these people weren't here, we could all go home because the bar is empty. But no, these <laughs> yeah. yahoos are slamming beers together and playing ridiculous games and hooting and hollering and carrying on. I am shocked that they are not hungover but they're not and they make their way to the asylum but not before they stop to do bungee jump slash like jumping into water on a big balloon it's baffling but it it really like a lot of these sequences it does lull you into a false sense of security or at the very least wondering exactly what you're in for and by the time they get to the asylum, everyone is still very much in the mood of this is ridiculous. This is silly. Now, we know that these boys that are coming along this trip, with, save for one, know that this is a setup because on horror times, all of their stuff is fucking faked. And the the group of women that are going with them don't know that and they're even doing kind of like a collab they got they got themselves like a, a a sensation of their own merging of channels you know this better than anybody lydia um because they got charlotte who is an also a ghost hunter in her own right yeah charlotte is kind of cool and this is where I, I hate to say it like I say so many times, I get these people confused, except for Charlotte, because she wears a scarf and she looks like some sort of Japanese idol, kind of. She looks like a little superstar. Aside from her little quips, whenever she gets really nervous, she reverts back to English. But other than that and her English name, like she wears stuff that make her look different than everybody else. And I get the nurse and the student confused because they don't have like that one thing like a typical ragtag group of youths there's going to be like the jock with the baseball cap and there's going to be the whore with the miniskirt we don't get that except for charlotte 
So thank God for Charlotte. Charlotte went to the big school of G.I. Joe and she knew the number one thing that you need is branding. And she even she even writes her own logo on the wall of the asylum. And I just said, you fucking get it, girl. I differentiate um, Jin Hyun and Ayun with Ayun's the nurse with pink sweater nurse, although she doesn't have her pink sweater, obviously, when uh, when she's in the asylum. And uh, uh, Jin Hyun is um, baseball hat girl. So she's got the baseball hat girl and she does the baseball hat girl. Yeah, baseball hat girl. The the problem is just when you introduce so many characters at once. Um thankfully they do say each other's names. I would get I would get from the script that they they're like there's a lot of characters here. Maybe we should have each other say each other's characters' names a lot so we can hear them frequently. Yeah. yeah, which is helpful, especially when they're ordering themselves around inside. So once they get inside, they're like, okay, you and you go that way and you and you go that way. And they name each other, thank God. I do wish, like so many of these other films, that they had their names on their camera feeds <laughs> because I find that helpful. Even when everyone does have the Scooby gang level of identification, and the same outfit so that we can track like baseball hat girl and scarf girl and things like that. I still find it helpful, especially when it gets dark and jittery. There, there are some extremely dark moments in this film. And I don't mean uh, dark isn't disturbing. I mean, dark isn't like very, very darkly lit. And on top of the shaky cam, on top of the GoPros, sometimes I'm like, okay, wait, who is running right now? I just see a, I see yeah. a windbreaker and, kind of the silhouette of a scared face. But we're getting a little bit ahead of ourselves. We are going to get all of our gear and we're going to set up a tent and we are going to like lids. This is not, this is a, they set up a base command. Like this is a serious military style tent that is meant to house like a dozen people comfortably a dozen people they got banks of monitors they have like all kinds of gear they've got all kinds of food and they are all just trudging up onto this property and setting up and it looks like they are at the very least put their money into their youtube business like it seems very successful it does, and it doesn't seem out of reach either, because I've watched, and no doubt you've watched, we've all watched, those sorts of found footage films where they're like, hi, I'm just a like down-on-his-luck film student trying to make my thesis, and I've got <laughs> $700,000 worth of fucking camera gear mm -hmm. right here. I don't, I don't buy it. I never buy it. I hate it. I hate that so much, especially like GoPros are pretty cheap, but no, no, they don't have like the cheap little GoPros. They have the like $500,000 version of these goddamn cameras. Mm -hmm. They're filming on red. Like, uh, no, 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 no. I, I never, I can never buy it. Let alone like some of the tripods they have and stuff. Some of the, the drones that they have are not the $80 drone from Amazon. Yeah. But these guys have a pretty believable setup and they've been doing it long enough that you could understand that they 
have amassed these things. You can go to Army Surplus and get a really cool tent like that for not too much money. You can get those cases used from other film places. You can buy that set of GoPros at a pretty reasonable price. So I believe that they could afford this. And that was the the my one of my favorite parts. And one of those things that they do right is that I can buy this. They're organized to a point that I can believe that they are organized enough and have enough money to pull this off. If they pulled their resources, if they've had a successful show up to this point, the production value appears to be there. It's not that, you know, two or three ragtag film grads with their $700,000 worth of gear that they got some fucking how. Well, don't you know, they always know a guy or someone owed them a favor or I stole this from th this is from the film studies class in my college. Uh, if you've ever been to any sort of college grounds where they have media, uh, that stuff's all hundred year old junk. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is old junk. I do know a guy. I, I do. I know two guys. I, I don't know if they're still in operation. I suspect that they are Parktown here in Ottawa, where when we were filming a music video ages ago, if I were to be filming anything, I would go to them because you can rent all this gear for a pretty good price. And if you're careful with it and, you know, mindful, you're not going to run into any problems and you can rent some really sweet gear from these places. I don't remember if they mentioned if any of this is rented. I, I think that they own it all. But I also, from what I understand, Horror Time is a very well-established YouTube show, right? Mm-hmm. Hanjun is the type of guy, Lids, that ain't going to get his hands dirty. He's He really is a, the director of this group of people. He's sending six people into the asylum, and one of their their big moves is it's not just about exploring the grounds which they are going to do the big thing is room 402 that is the room in which all of these legends culminates to everyone tries to get to room 402 they say lids if you go into room 402 you will die. That's how the beginning of the film hits us with these two kind of trespassing goons beating on the door with a hammer trying to get in because I guess you have to be a chosen one to get into that door. And if you, you know, bust your way in, that's part of the part of the problem. They're going to bust their way in. That is the big set piece of all this that's the point of all this all of the other stuff is set dressing all the other stuff is storytelling all the other stuff is kind of fluff one thing i really like here is that we've gotten to see how good their gopros are because they went like that bungee splash diving or whatever and they all work really well you get really crisp excellent audio really crisp excellent visual They've got really vibrant colors, really good light capture, really awesome cameras. We got to see their drone in action and it's a smooth drone when they're playing with the drone at first and they're all as stoked as anyone would be with like, oh, cool, we have a drone and it's got crisp, awesome, excellent picture. And whoever is piloting the drone is doing a great job. They're not in that building four minutes and 
their cameras look like crap because it's too dark and the drone is kaput. <laughs> and I like that. It, it brings it a little more home. This is how shit would go if I tried to plan it. Yeah, it there's always something that happens in horror where people are too prepared. You need to call it what it is where people say, why would they go into this place in this, this densely forest property with garbage equipment? Why would people go on whatever trip ill prepared? Where's everyone's cell phones? That's also, you know, in horror, the big question, right? The way that you do that in writing is to turn those strengths into disadvantages or to make the property itself somehow manipulating technology because we know ghosts love to fuck with tech lids. That's neither, that's not a new concept whatsoever. And I wanted to ask you when the first time that you kind of came into this, were you getting a lot of grave encounters vibes? It's hard not to, right? It's really hard not to very similar. Although grave encounters is a little more polished because it's supposed to be like for TV where there's not room for these sort of mishaps. There's a lot more room and a lot more elasticity with this movie because they're younger. They have more, you know, volatile gear. Their gear isn't as tried and tested and true. There are new people using all the gear, whereas in Grave Encounters, they're all like old hands at using all these EMFs and like, because they, they, they keep the ghost hunting to a minimal here. It's really about getting these girls in the building and scaring them for <laughs> Gonjam. But in Grave Encounters, like, they are professionals. They really are. And I was putting all of that aside. My brain works in probably a really obnoxious way where the second I start watching a movie, I start thinking about all the other movies that this movie reminds me of. It might just be that I've seen too many horror movies. And so I have, a, so it's, it's not like I don't like this because this reminds me of an, of a horror movie that I already liked. I have the attitude of like, Ooh, more of this because grave encounters is probably my favorite found footage film. Um, and this one is better than it in a lot of ways, even though the idea is very familiar one thing I'm really happy about is the lore behind this asylum is different from the Grave Encounters lore. I have a complicated opinion about the constant use of, oh, I think the, uh, the, the guy who ran this place was into devil worship. Like, it's, it's just so fucking lazy, and it's just... I, I always just want writers to just five more minutes, five more minutes and come up with something other than like, oh, I think he liked the devil. It's just, it's so old fashioned. It's so overdone. And it's just, you are saying a piece of dialogue to get that out of the way because you just want to get to the fact that there's ghosts here. And if you tell an audience that, the director or whoever worshipped the devil, you're going to say, oh, well, of course there's ghosts in it. And then we can move past that and we can get the rest of the movie. This film doesn't spend a lot of time, but it combines history, which you can learn about, 
with just very matter of fact examples of ghosts and terrible things curse a place when terrible things happen at it. You don't need the devil because good old humans have been terrible to each other forever. And so this is a place in which uh, Korean POWs under Japanese occupation were murdered and they it was made to look like a suicide. Now all of this is fed to us via, well, you know, I heard a rumor. It's all rumors. It's all this, that, and the other thing. But at the end of the day, you understand that I heard it was just a rumor. Delete that. This is what happened. This is why this place is haunted because people were wrongfully murdered and their deaths were covered up. I do like that premise. And I, I'm right there with you with being fed up with devil worship uh, as a plot device. As, uh, even when you have one of my favorite characters, which is the actual Satanist that walks in and shows them how they're all wrong or how it's not devil worship at all. That's my one of my favorite characters, but I'm even tired of all that because we don't need room for that. That saves you so much paper in screenwriting to not include that because then you don't have to explain it away <laughs> at all mm -hmm. unless it's an actual real good died in the wool satanic or demonic story for real. And they're very rare, very, very rare that they do it right, get it right, or as right as I can ascertain as an armchair freak. But be that as it may, I am a huge fan of stories of these old buildings where it is a rumor where you heard about, you know, the the old quarantine hospital that was here in Britannia Bay yeah. and the runes of which are the clubhouse for this place or that that old hospital in North Bay used to be the psychiatric unit and then they moved the psychiatric unit out of town because all the crazies were so crazy. And then they had the nuns come in and fix this hospital up to treat women. And that's where all the unwed mothers had their babies taken away from them. Like it's all rumors, but it's all, it's all true. And you can look at all those things in the history of a town, much like the actual Gongium. And that must've been so much easier for them because all they had to do is in this film or in real life is plant a few photographs of creepy looking nurses with a bunch of deranged looking people. And there you got yourself a ghost story. Not only are you going to plant it with pictures of uh, people who were uh, patients at the asylum, one of them is going to have a creepy doll. And that doll is going to be our little hero, a little reoccurring character in this uh, here movie. What did you think of the look of this little doll, this little poppet? I mean, it reminded me sort of almost folk horror level straw doll made by a child kind of thing or made by another unfortunate inmate perhaps, or that it is like a voodoo looking doll. What did you think of this little, little fella? I love me a good old fashioned doll and not one that looks like a movie prop one that looks like uh, a doll and this very much has that maker like aesthetic where it looks like something it would have been something that the inmates inmates the the patients would have had an arts and crafts something to keep their hands busy and one of them cobbled together this doll and then it became very precious to it. That's what it 
reminded me of. And I think that the thing that really was fun about it was everything in this asylum is so drab. It's a lot of grays and blacks and you might get a yellowed whitish sheet here and there, but generally speaking, very little actual color, but not this doll. This doll is vibrant blues and uh, almost a cherub like like uh, like white chalk makeup and red lips and there's some gold on it. And so it almost seems like a special effect that they're holding. It's so vibrant compared to everything else. Yeah, nearly glowing. And not just in the uh, night vision camera either. I mean, it it stands out in the black and white photos as probably the one spark of joy within that, those old photos, that particular old photo. But uh, yeah, this, this little doll is the only like point of color. You're right. Aside from maybe Charlotte's scarf. Yes. And uh, Charlotte will also encounter a little bit of color, that chicken. So there's some weird aspects of this property where on the one hand, it seems as though no one, no one is here. No one's allowed to be here. If you enter this building, you die effectively, but there's a lot of evidence of, Vandals. There's a lot of graffiti. There's a lot of bric-a-brac around. There's wigs and stuff there for pranks. Um, you, you know, some of that we know what it is. It's it's stuff that's been planted there by the boys. But other aspects of it seems as though, yeah, there's just, it seems some people are allowed to enter and leave this place at will. I guess if they don't antagonize the spirits, if they're not there making fun of them in one way or another, if they're not there trying to call them out with their EMF readers and seances and rituals and holy water and all that crap, the holy water thing is such a Chekhov's gun to me. <laughs> and they pour out this holy water in a little Petri dish and they set it up as if, you know, with a camera, if ghosts are going to disturb it. And I kept expecting something to happen with this holy water through the whole goddamn movie. But we'll get to that later on. Of course we will, right? Because it's Chekhov's gun. Because he poured out the holy water in the first act. People who go traipsing through there yelling at ghosts and go booting on door 402 get the ghosts all riled up. I'm pretty sure that there's people in there who need shelter or somewhere warm to warm up their stolen food <laughs> or whatever uh, that are street involved that have no problem going in and out of places like that because they're not there for that lore. They're not there to antagonize. They're not there to have some sort of worth proved. They're not there to one up a ghost or prove something of themselves or test their metal against a ghost. They're, they, they might not even know that this lore exists and, they probably can come in and out unscathed. And there's also an aspect of perhaps luring even more people to this property, which you could imagine. Maybe I just got too much Hell House LLC locked up in my head. But there seemed to be something about keeping things going, which there's a bit of a twist like towards the end of the film that substantiates my idea at least a little bit. 
But they've been into this place and doors have started to slam. People have been attempting to open up room 402. Lots of weird things are happening. And then we get to that seance. And the notion of this seance is if a spirit is present, they will trigger these bells that are suspended via red thread along, well, surrounding them essentially uh, in the upper levels. The ceiling is what a normal person would call that, the upper levels. The upper level of the room. Yes. Um, All of that stuff goes off at once. And the reaction from, uh, in particular, Ji Huan is huge, absolutely fucking huge. They're terrified. And a lot of people are freaking out. We got ourselves... um, their new uh, production assistant, who's kind of the shaggy of the group, he kind of comes off as very timid. He's the one that is charged with like opening the door. So that's like primarily his job. And so they're all like, um, they're all so adorable when they're scared because they like almost like run in place. They like, like uh, pitter patter their feet up and down and when they don't really know what direction to go in and what to do or where to go. And these moments, you get the sense that some people are definitely more scared than others. Some people know what's going on. Some people don't know what's going on. And this is where it's difficult for the characters to freely admit that something weird is going on because some of them absolutely think everything's authentic. Everyone else thinks that, okay, well, these are the things that were set up to scare everyone in order to make this video interesting so we can get that million views. Um, mind you, you have Hanju in his tent staring at the view count, which is just going up and up and up and up and up. It seems to be going up like, you know, 10 viewers every second it seems like it's just counting up very very rapidly and he's thrilled at this um so there's a lot of incentive to keep everything going but i tell you even at this point some of these characters have already had enough and i think you get the idea that a lot of them were probably expecting what a lot of these urban explorers or YouTube ghost hunters expect, which is we're going to go to an abandoned property and it's going to be dirty and there's going to be mice and uh, pigeons and whatever else. And you might hear a pipe bang or you'll hear some water drip. We're going to take some shots, explore it all night, and then we're going to go home and nothing supernatural is going to happen. But supernatural stuff happens, like you said, pretty much immediately aside from the glitches and the door slamming which apparently from what i understand doors do open and close without any breeze in this building for whatever reason or before it was torn down this would happen quite often in this building and i like that because it's it gives you that fan service of i'm watching a ghost hunting show a door is going to open or shut by itself or someone's hair is going to get touched and they're going to repeat it and we're going to get to see that in replay and slow-mo and everyone's reactions all over again that's my favorite the little replay we get that 
I love that. And then we get the jingling bells. And even when they're setting up that room, you're kind of like, oh, wow, they really they really know what they're doing. They really pulled out all the stops. They got the red string and the little bells. And it's so, so interestingly set up. It's such a great idea because if there is any breeze in there whatsoever, these bells are going to go off when they do. It's jarring because I guess. I mean, you can tell what one little bell would sound like, but a whole bunch of the raucous of all of these bells going off at once is intense. And the the fear, like Ji Yoon, the newest filmographer, I believe. Mm-hmm. Is that his name, Ji Yoon? Was mm-hmm. he in on it? I don't think so. He wasn't in on it, right? No. I don't think so either. I don't know if it was clear. It wasn't clear to me either time I've watched this. But he's screaming. You're right. He is very much like a cartoon and it's adorable and it's effective because you feel bad for him. You feel bad that he's that scared. And even at this point, we're like, did they really set it up to go off quite like that? And then when we get the people being touched, the scarf lifting into the air, things that you're like, okay, well, how would they have even possibly set that up? to find out that there are actual supernatural things happening that they did not set up is when you first get very, very interested in the direction this film's going to go. How evil is this place really evil enough to dig their nails into your skin and tear at it until you bleed. Ji Hyun gets her arm in like, I don't know what it is. It's like a coffin or a, type thing with a hole in it she sticks her arm in it um and it's like fingernails raked all down her arm she's terrified charlotte is terrified charlotte who put her her name this this very much is the charlotte's transformation of oh yeah this is i've cnn had this list of like 12 scary places and she's been to three of them and she's basically just ticking them off their list. And she is also using her investigation to collab with uh, these guys. But she's also kind of like, you can tell that, well, I'm also using footage for my stuff because she's like, here's my friend and I'm doing my own investigation and this is real and this is not real. And she tags the wall now the graffiti has changed where she has left her name and it's telling her that she's going to die. They've floated her scarf. People have touched her. And she she is kind of that idle personality of winking at the camera and pointing at the camera and speaking in English and then going back to Korean. That is absolutely fucking gone. And she is done and she runs away as fast as she possibly can and this is this moment of the film that I thought was so well done because it was going to start doing my favorite thing and that is when you ask yourself why don't they just leave and when they get outside and you see the front steps of this of this asylum and they're outside again 
and uh, Ji Hyun and Charlotte are running and running through the woods while they're outside. So I guess they're going to run back to the tent and then the ground slowly changes. You know, Charlotte is noticing that it back in the laboratory, that weird dead chicken is on the ground. A bunch of bric-a-brac that was on the floor there is there. And she realizes, and you as the audience realize, oh, this place fucks with your vision, with space, with time. Who knows? It is showing you things that are not authentic. They thought they were outside. And maybe they were, but they're not. This is where I really expected it to go into corpse party territory. I thought they were going to bump into like Charlotte's old friend that had been there that maybe hadn't actually ever left and sent those photos to her from beyond the grave mm-hmm. or the two explorers that we see at the beginning. I thought I really felt like they were going to bump into other people probably because of corpse party. And it's not, I, I usually don't give in to the, the illness that you have of watching a movie and constantly thinking of its comparisons. But I felt that unsettled. Like I did watching corpse party and I, I love that sort of premise of places between time where once you step in, you've sort of breached a barrier that wasn't meant to be broken and you're trapped in there and you could run for miles and you're still inside the asylum. And I really, really, really like that. I found that super effective, especially when they bust into the tent and it's it, it, the jig is up. They are back in the asylum and maybe never left. Or maybe it is just such a stretchy space time. It's very much the uh, the 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 seven minute hallway or or whatever you call it from the House of Leaves. You're you're stuck forever within the confines of the asylum. I was so curious about that. Uh, this is uh, I've watched this film twice now, and watching it this time, I was so curious. Okay. Was this asylum showing them the outside or were they actually outside? And like you said, it has just transplanted them back into the asylum and there was no escape or were, you, you know, I would just picture like what what would really be happening is you would see them just running through these hallways, taking corners, taking lefts, and they think they're pushing through brush. Uh, they had used some found uh, underwear as a marker they find the marker uh, so they think that they're safe and they're at the very least you think that they should be at the tent and Hanjun is at the tent so they're running towards another person and their car is just a little beyond that so you know we're going home and then all of a sudden no 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 Charlotte notices that G uh, Hyun is well she's she's got the parcel tongue she's talking in scritchy scratchy whispers we get GoPro footage there is this fucking scene just works it just fucking works I wanted more of that that uh, GoPro footage of <laughs> her face doing scribble mouth whatever I, I don't know is she actually saying anything of course we don't speak Korean so I don't know if she's whispering something intelligible at all. I don't know. But it is so creepy sounding. 
I mean, at the very least, the translation doesn't help us out. It doesn't like I don't know if it would be like inaudible whispers, whispers inaudibly or whatever. But I watched it on Blu-ray with the subtitles. Uh, there's no English uh, option. So it was just like, here's your subtitles. It's a very bare bones Blu-ray, by the way. No special features, no anything. It's just the movie and uh, uh, the trailer. But um, uh, still beautiful. It's a beautiful Blu-ray. I re- recommend picking up. Cool slipcover if you like that kind of stuff. But this this uh, this sequence is great because Charlotte gets levitated, and you think, okay, well, this this girl is is definitely dead, and she's not because this goes into what I I can't say for a hundred percent, but if, because I haven't heard too many other people talk about this film aside from like, this is a good movie. You should check it out. Um, we enter the tent, but the inside of the tent is not the inside of the tent. It is inside of a room within the asylum Charlotte, we see from her POV, she is looking. We see almost like the fucking Blair Witch, uh, Ji Hyun in a corner, just standing there. And it makes you think, oh, was she just in this room this entire time? And that's just as far away as this woman is from her. And then she brings her camera to one side, and we just see a fucking what do you want to fucking call this guy? Like he looks like a silent hill monster that would just be in a silent hill game. He does. He does look like a silent hill monster. He's a contorted naked dude that is just standing there. He's just standing there. I mean, it's the, um, the short film that was the precursor to lights out. Yes. Was a lot like this. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. Uh, I really am tired of this shtick, though. It, I wasn't tired of it in 2018 when this film came out. But I am grown very tired of the move the camera away from the thing, move the camera back. It hasn't moved. Move the camera away from the thing, move the camera back. It still hasn't moved. Move the camera away from the thing and, ah, it's right in front of you. Fuck off with that. Fuck right off with that. <laughs> I am so sick of this cheap trick. It is a, it's a cheap trick. And... Yeah, okay, you want to say, well, it's effective. Yeah, I suppose it is. But also stepping on attack is effective at making your foot hurt. So, like, it's it's a cheap move. And I really, really, really dislike it. I, I like it here to a certain extent because it doesn't happen quite that formulaically. Mm-hmm. She does look away and back several times. She has her hand on the door and she's trying to get out. Like, she's doing things. She's not just standing there looking away and back again to get us as the audience going. She's actually trying to cope with and escape from this thing. This sequence is, I really like it. And the only thing that I could say, and I thought this the first time I saw it, the second time I was expecting it, but the first time I saw this, I just couldn't believe the balls on Charlotte to take her eyes off this thing. I would just be like, what are you looking around the room for? The, this You can see this thing's right here, right? You've seen a horror movie, right? You know when you, you tr- shine the light off that thing, it's just going to scamper up to you and get right up in your face? You know that. You have to know that. 
Um, one little thing is the the doll is going to make its appearance by her foot, and I was curious. Do we believe that this is the patient who is the owner of that doll? I don't know that, or if it, the director had given it to multiple patients, so it could belong to kind of anybody. In looking at the photo, I don't really see a super resemblance between the creature person that is in the room mm -hmm. with them at this moment. Me either. But I'd have to like look again real close. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe get him to take his robe off and stand up real crooked. There's something that is also happening simultaneously to all of this. Uh, a good chunk of the ladies have run away. Well, two of the three. And we know their fate. Meanwhile, uh, Seung Wook and uh, Sung Hoon, uh, who are um, Han Jun's like main dudes, they yeah the the ones that have set up a lot of this stuff. They are talking with each other, being like, "Okay, shit has happened that is not part of anything that we set up, and the only people that know that are them." And so they are going to renegotiate their contracts, let's say, because they want to get out of that fucking asylum, but not if they can get a 20% of the profits because they are so close to 1 million. Hajun is a man possessed, you could say, but, and, and at this point in the film, you can't say for 100%. Oh, is this one of those things? Are you, are you, have you been the ghost the whole time? Are you, have you been possessed by the director and now you're acting as a director to all of these people? Like what, what is the relationship here? He is like almost in tears. He's red eyed. He is, he looks furious and he is even go so far, Lydia. If you stop the feed again, I'll kill you. He says, I'll kill you. And he means it. I believe that he means it too. I also believe that he's a little bit unsettled by all of this because he's established that there is another cameraman somewhere in the mix. He's gone through the footage and there's a point where everyone is in frame and there's a handheld or camera mounted, a, a GoPro camera feed that he's getting at one point at least that is not from anyone that he sent in there. So he's got to be a little bit freaked out. So the two things together, if he is 100% wholly human, is that he's got his talent threatening to abandon ship. Two of the girls, which is really what the point is, is to get the girls in there and get their reactions. Two of them have taken off our AWOL. And he's got some mystery footage appearing somehow so he's got to be on edge no matter what threatening to kill people is a little bit over the top for sure he's tense he's too, he's so tense <laughs> he's in a tent he's still in the tent i mean we can't forget that even though we have charlotte and is it ayan or gian gian yeah we have charlotte and gian in a room that have in one timeline i suppose taken off on him on the other are still inside and are now kind of the stars of the show right to in from our point of view 
he's still in the tent waiting for them to report back, so to speak. His show is falling apart, but he's also so close to having achieved his goal of making however much money he thinks he's going to make with a million viewers. Yeah, it's really weird because it's almost as if, I don't know, from what I understand from most of the larger YouTubers out there, if you're starting to get these type of numbers, you just keep going, right? And once we do this, I can quit this YouTube crap forever and I can go and do what my real passion is, not threatening to kill people for turning off a live stream because uh, it seems to stress them out. And he he is becoming almost Gollum-like and his precious is those numbers lids, those numbers. We know what it's like. You got a YouTube channel. We got a podcast. When the number's big, Lydia, I feel like I'm finally worth something. And when the numbers are low, I threaten to kill you. That's <laughs> <laughs> not how it happens at all. But I mean, <laughs> yeah, once the numbers were to be big, you just, you, it's not like you rest on your laurels. No. You continue doing what you're doing because you're supposed to like enjoy what you're doing. And that's what got you the, the fame and fortune in the first place is that you you enjoyed this. I don't think that Hajun enjoys any of this, especially when shit starts going sideways because he's had his like drop camera feeds, his drones out of commission. It seems he's got like the generator keeps giving out. He's got glitches. All sorts of stuff is actually going wrong, even though the numbers appear to be going up and up he's having a lot of technical issues and now he has people that are absconding and maybe it's not getting very interesting from his point of view but from our point of view as actual viewers of this as a movie when shit starts getting really sideways i've noticed the one thing is that the colors start to really be bled out of this you're getting a lot more night shots because their lights are being falling over and being out of commission so we're getting a lot more night vision everything's getting a lot more dark Everything's getting a lot more quiet because we're getting a lot of this. Did you hear that? Is that you? Sort of stuff. They're not screaming and running quite as often. They're being more slow and still and actually scared. Like people don't get screaming, yelling, flailing like at the beginning when they're actually genuinely scared. They're actually feeling like prey being hunted by some very dangerous being they're getting quieter and quieter as this actual infestation of paranormal activity ramps up and then it's the job of the asylum itself to almost feel as though it's just gonna put a stick in a bunch of cans and rattle it around to to freak you out because it, you know quiet as a, a church mouse and quiet as a tomb until bang, boom, everything in this fucking room is levitating and they're levitating. And what happens is I actually rewound this sequence twice because I wasn't entirely sure what had happened. And because there's so much running there's so much running around and this is by the way spliced in kind of or on the heels of the scene with charlotte so there is just a lot of chaos going on simultaneously and soon 
uh, Wook and uh, Sung, excuse me, Sung Hoon, um, they levitate in the air, slam down onto the ground, and then when you, um, when Sun Wook gets up and goes to run, the door is slammed, he is flung, and then he is just dragged away screaming. Sunwook being dragged. I, I like these scenes. And I mean, it's been not overused necessarily. There's a certain sort of film that uses this ghost dragging people away thing. And I, I always like it. I think I like it. And I'll always like it because I've been privy to a production where we tried to replicate this, you know, in a music video. And it, it made the cut and stuff. But the technicality of actually pulling that off especially in a gorilla format where you don't have like dollies and gear and you don't have a stunt person <laughs> or anything like that you don't really know what you're doing just orchestrating a scene where somebody is dragged quickly away is not fucking easy and they do it very very well here you feel that he is being ripped down the hallway and it's scary it's dangerous when uh, we see him or um, Sun Wook get pulled away, um, we know what his fate is, although not entirely. There's this ambiguous nature with these types of ghost haunting films, particularly in the found footage genre, where you ask yourself, what are they doing? What are they doing to you? They're dragging Charlotte away. They're dragging uh, Sung Wook away. What are you doing? Where are they going? Are they like going like going into the ether? Are they getting dragged to? Well, we could assume that they might be getting dragged to room four hundred two. There's evidence of that later, but I mean, what are you doing with them? Because a lot of these people go missing. And I've, I always, I always have just been in the mentality of, like I've just said five fucking times, where are they going? Do you have an idea of where they're going? Are they going into the afterlife? Are they going into like the, this dimensional purgatory? Are they, they're joining the ranks? There's some evidence that people join the ranks. We got schoolgirls that were not part of this original problem, you know? Maybe. Maybe. Or it's a tactic to separate people. Especially if one intended prey is the person who is not being dragged away. Sometimes they're dra dragged away to safety. Do you ever think of, you ever think of that, Wes? Maybe the, the ghosts are helpful. Maybe they're trying to help them and they're like dragging them to safety. <laughs> like I mean, that's what I would do. So Charlotte gets dragged away kicking and screaming, screaming by that naked man with a huge like Y incision down his chest and then by the time he like she stops and he looks over he's like are you alright? You look really scared. Oh gee whiz uh, the, door, the door outside is that way. Now you take care. It's awful cold. Here's your scarf. I was trying to adjust it for you. I was just trying to. The draft Young lady, the draft. Yeah. You got to think about that. Did you want this doll? You're gonna catch a cold. You're gonna catch a. Did you want this doll? I've made a couple. You can have this. It looked like you. You don't want this doll. That's okay. I'm not offended. 
I'm not offended. You don't have to take the doll. <laughs> you take care now. Jesus Murphy. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's how I picture it. I mean, that's how I would behave where I go. You know, I would. <laughs> um. <laughs> we're not a comedy show. We're not. We're not. I, I promise you. We're not a comedy show. <laughs> Maybe we could be if I could think of more jokes, but I can tell you what's not a joke. Sung Hun spilling the beans. It is jokes are out the window. See jokes? Bye. Out the window. Out the asylum where we need to be. All right. I'll admit it, gang. All of this stuff that we were doing in the asylum was bullshit, except all of this other stuff that is definitely not bullshit. We need to leave right now or we are going to die. What's handy, I think, is Hajun has finally had it up to here with his defecting cast. And he's just going to haul ass. He's, he's out of power. He can't see what's going on. He's still creating a feed. He know like it's still probably broadcasting. He needs to get in there. So he starts hauling ass with his own camera toward the asylum. He finds that the drone, my beloved drone, is still active as well, which I think is neat. You know, at least some of the technology hasn't failed him entirely. So he flies the drone up to look in the window. And what is it exactly that he sees? Because I'm not really even sure what it is. It looks a lot like the ghost, quote unquote, from the beginning. But it's one of his cast members, is it not? I think so. Um, It's really hard to tell exactly what he's looking at for sure. Like I said, it's really hard to see. I like watching these sequences, like squinting, trying to see exactly what he is seeing. Um, I can tell you the only thing that... I, <laughs> so Hanjun is, let's say, at the peak of fiery madness. Let's... Because <laughs> he... Ha, but he still is... It's He's in an unfamiliar area. Of, a little familiar, but generally unfamiliar. It's dark. And he keeps needing to get his bearings. And so he constantly, with this go, <laughs> this GoPro footage right up in his grill, he stops, sort of like kind of looks around, and he's got this like spooky, like far away look on his face, and then he just like starts starts <laughs> running top speed again, and the GoPro face, the GoPro camera is just like jiggling around in his fucking face, and then he stops, and he just like looks around. Just looks around, looks around, and then he fucking starts like going, going again. And I was like, "All right, this is really intense, but it's also fucking hysterical <laughs> because it's hard to GoPro footage with that front-facing rig." I've always kind of had a love-hate for it when I watch YouTube channels that use it because it's just I just find that people's the camera angle is goofy, so when you're looking at somebody running top speed with a camera right in their face looks a little silly but his drone is effectively gone we don't know what happened to it we it got a little bit of camera footage he's got to get to the asylum itself lydia no more farting around no more farting around with the snorri cam thank god i think that it got established that the snorri cam footage was unsettling and effective in film with requiem for a dream and then these found footage people discovered it and just how like unsettling it can look but yeah I, I, this is a, a typical example of a 
guy who is the uh, boss of the show, kind of not knowing what the hell he's doing. But yeah, sorry, what, where, what were we talking about? I got caught up in Snorri Camland. Well, where we're at in the film is we got ourselves a rogue ping pong ball lids. Now, ping pong is something that has come up a couple of times in this movie where it was it was kind of cavalierly mentioned at the beginning where they bring up that the director liked ping pong and it's like, what's with the, what's with the ping pong photos? I guess she just likes ping pong. Uh, we get a ping pong ball tossed at them. And this is where the, the effect of time displacement is happening. So I kind of feel like you're onto something with this corpse party interpretation of this space because we have you know 10 15 minutes ago in the movie we have seen charlotte's demise we've also seen uh ji hyun's demise assuming she's well she's she's possessed and no longer part of the film so i'm assuming she's dead or whatever um or just still standing in a corner making scribble mouth noises. But here we have our characters outside of room 402 still trying to get in. Until um, uh, Sung Hoon shows up, they, like, they don't even really know that anything's wrong. They still have their own original tasks to complete. And we hear Charlotte screaming. We hear basically that entire sequence that we just saw with the naked man in the empty room, which I originally thought when I first saw it was what was in room 402. But I guess what's in room 402 is coming later. And this is just another room in the asylum or does room 402 change? I'm not entirely certain, but um, now they're trying to, while Charlotte, who we know is already gone, is trying to get out of the room they're trying to get into the room to get her out which i really like that sort of like crossed over overlapped time and i really do think that she's in room 402 even though it looks quite different once we end up in there mm -hmm. I, I like the look of room 402 but it does have that pillar i think that pillar is the one constant now that could appear in any kind of room i guess in the in the asylum mm -hmm. and it is sort of very cookie cutter in that there are buildings in the town of Ganjiam that look similar to it, that were built by the same architect with the same sort of stairs on the outside, which are so iconic looking. And so there's got to be rooms within it on the four levels of the asylum that look the same. There just have to be. So she could be in another room, but I really think she's just in another instance of room 402. I, re I really do. That's a ghost bearing pillar. They need that to support all the ghosts that are in that room. They do. It absolutely is. <laughs> um, um, when our trio come to, we got ping pong balls, we got the infrared cameras fl uh, flashing, indicating that there is some kind of presence there, everything goes black. And we find that our characters are no longer in the hallway. They are in a black room with no lights, but knee deep water. And what they do to see is turn on their camera lights or whatever like camera light that they have. Cause again, their, their lights basically are not functioning. 
you see the you see their GoPro cameras on their faces. You see the sort of silhouette of the, uh, or not the silhouette, but the reflecting light off of the water. And you see the trio there wondering where the hell they are, vaguely, distantly, perhaps understanding that they're in room 402. And there is somebody in there with them. Yeah, unfortunately, they don't have a camera feed <laughs> like they did before, assuming it's the same presence that had been watching them earlier. But they can see it in their cameras. They can't seem to see it. They can't seem to see anything without their cameras on. But looking at one another through their cameras, they can see this person behind, not just one of them at a time, but behind each of them, it seems. And then this being that we can see in the cameras as well starts to sort of put its hands almost like try to put its hands over the eyes Mm -hmm. of somebody and then snatch their hands back Mm -hmm. and they are grimy withered old gray scary hands that are very unsettling even to me as a grown-ass adult sitting on my couch and they do this once or twice yeah this sequence is so fucking fascinating to me it's almost as if when somebody else looks in the direction of someone who's just about to be affected it's almost as if did I catch something out the corner of my eye in the vague distance of my peripheral and looking at it like a floater causes it to cast to the side and it's almost as if this thing needs Um, you not to look at it in order to do whatever it is it needs to do. Now, they turn on the the old infrared or the the night vision cam and we can see that there is a small woman, perhaps teenager. She definitely looks like she's in a Korean schoolgirl uniform. This is one of the three young girls that years ago went to the asylum Two of them ended up in uh, a mental institution themselves and ended up uh, committing suicide. One of them was never found. We seem to have found that person. And I'm telling you, uh, she's not alone in this room because once they get the night vision on it, you can see huddled in a corner together is numerous people, a dozen, two dozen uh, people in hospital gowns, all sort of... Uh, together and each one of them when the hands finally cast over their eyes their eyes turn black not unlike Ji Hyun's eyes earlier when she was you know like scratching her uh, like doing that vocal whisper stuff and again this is a little bit more helpful than dragging them away in my mind because what are you doing? What are they doing? But when it's the final guy, Sung Hoon, you know, one of the perpetrators of this whole fucking thing, one of the reasons why they're all there, I am telling you now, Lydia, and I'll tell our dear audience, even though I knew it was coming, this fucking jump scare got me the first time, and it fucking got me again. That girl screeching and clutching his head Man, does that fucking work. I like the look of her. I don't find it worked as a jump scare for me, 
but I was I was there, and it was a better payoff. You know how much I love um, grave encounters. I love grave encounters. I don't like the look of some of the jump scary stretch mouth ghost face mm-hmm. going on in that particular film because um, that's not effective. But her look is, and it's it's natural looking and it's believable looking and it's terrifying looking the way that a a tormented soul of a hungry ghost would look in my imagination. So I I really, really do like the look of her. Yeah, there was, um, can't remember the name of the character, but um, sort of like the, the evil little girl in the silent hill movie. It kind of reminded me of her. Uh, just because she got a lot of oily black blood around her eyes and mouth that I really, really dug. And I guess we're getting out of here, Lids. I guess that's it. Oh, actually, there's still one guy who uh, is still alive and you kind of forget about him. But it's it's old Hanjun. He's, he's, he's on the scene, Lids. He's within the asylum. He's going to get this payoff he is going to you know finally show the audience what is inside room 4OT he's sure of it he just needs to find everybody he's running down the hallway and I like this because at this the very moment that he ends up being able to see what's happened to the rest of his crew his drone crashes outside and I found that really effective in that it's mirroring what's really going on mm-hmm. inside as well as outside with something that never even entered the building and is a not a sentient creature. So we find Hanjun finds himself in this, um, in this corner of the asylum. And there is something that like, no matter how many times you do it, no matter how much time passes in cinema, it's really hard to make it look effective and scary. And that is the old levitating feet. It always just looks like someone on strings to me. Um, I don't have a better solution. I don't make movies. I'm not a filmmaker, but I'm telling you that if the movie costs a hundred million dollars or if the movie costs 15 bucks, if you have somebody levitating, it just looks like someone on strings. It always does. It always will, I guess. Um, and just coming towards her is the ghost of the director, a decidedly evil woman, or at the very least a person who liked ping pong the devil's game and also wrongfully killed a bunch of uh korean pow's at the behest of the japanese government but he is going to awaken from that screeching ghost uh i found this jump scare not effective at all just because i was like yeah i've already been i might be a little ghost out there might be a little diminishing returns when he ends up strapped to that chair, he gets turned around and then he gets dragged, still cuffed to that chair, into room 402. The door slams shut. His final screams are heard. And you would think that the asylum would almost be silent. And it takes to all the different rooms where the cameras are still set up. The showers turn on mysteriously. Uh, one thing that we forgot to mention that really has the vibes. And again, I hate bringing, I'm, I'm, I'm going to make maybe a, a, like, this will be the last time I'm going to try to stop making references to other movies when I watch movies. Cause I don't know if it's, if it annoys people or not, but if you have ever seen the movie as above, so below, 
there is a dimensional shift that is happening within this room 402 because if you look up into the ceiling it, there's this pool that they're able to like cast upwards and this pool was in the washrooms uh in another part yeah, of the Yeah, there's a bathing room and a shower room that are separate. Yes, and the ceiling of room 402 and I I'd wonder so if you were to by some stretch of the imagination jump into that filthy bottle of body of water in the bathing room would you have ended up in room 402 or if you were to is the escape from room 402 like what if they jumped on each other's shoulders and they could get out of room 402 that way i mean you're still in the asylum so i don't i don't think they need you to go to room 402 to kill you they clearly don't they've killed other people outside of that room but I'm just wondering if there was any way around it, but it's an interesting sort of shift in dimensions, awareness, and time that I just didn't want to gloss over. But yeah, the bathing room is seems pretty benign, and I think that the uh, liquid ceiling is one of my favorite effects within this film, mm. and I really would like to see it in uh, in a DVD or a Blu-ray or something yes. because watching it on Tubi as much as I love Tubi, it's not the best quality. So I, I would like to see a higher quality version of this particular effect because it reminded me of some of the effects from the found footage film Chronicle, which is really, really very, very well done. And I found that this almost went into that sort of territory of of high, high production value, even though we've been looking at a lot of like found footage, typical found footage sort of stuff. We got this moment of just very sublime special effect with this sort of head fuck that yeah if you stood on someone's shoulders and jumped you could probably catch on to the edge of the bathing pool round almost ring style well looking pool that is in the bathing room and pull yourself out of room 402 conceivably yeah I, I just really dig that there is a final twist of the knife Lydia and I absolutely adored this aspect of this film because you see Lids what was Hanjun a slave to not the almighty dollar but the almighty audience just like every one of us who is a content creator can relate to he did it all for those numbers and the numbers kept rising he hit that million mark Except he didn't. 502. 502. The feed cut out right when they were admitting on camera that everything was staged. And the comments in the comment section are everyone just commiserating with, Yep, we always knew these guys were a bunch of fakers. Always figured that they were full of it. And so not only was this all for nothing, they, they didn't get their million views in reality. They didn't uh, get the footage. They're not getting any money. Uh, they're dead. And their reputations <laughs> they're dead, yes. in the turlet. Seeing as they did do a lot of the filming outside of the actual asylum here, you could conceivably film another one because it's fictional, right? Even though it's based on a real place that was torn down, they can make another one because 
Chekhov's gun, or Charlotte's petri dish of holy water, finally goes off in the final, final, one of the final, final, final scenes, Mm -hmm. it begins to boil. And proving like there is still very malevolent, active, paranormal manifestations within this building. Well, well, you know, I wouldn't, I, I wouldn't uh, say no to a sequel to this film at all. The reason why I wanted to do this movie, and we had done a big block uh, a few months ago of uh, a lot of Asian films from Japan and and whatnot, and then we did some wonderful films from Korea. And I had thought, you know, maybe we should take a break from talking about South Korean horror films for a little while and move on to other stuff. But I was reminded, this was in and around Halloween of last year, and I was asked by a friend of mine, like I often am around that time of year, Wes, me and my friends want to watch a scary movie, but here's the criteria. They wanted it to be Asian. They wanted it to be found footage. And they wanted it to be scary. And the, the, the glowing endorsement I got the next day was like, Wes, you son of a bitch. Like, <laughs> I fucking hate you. I love you, but I hate you. Um, and it reminded me that every time I've shown this film to somebody or recommended to, for someone to watch this film, it terrifies them. And even though I'm not the type of person that really gets that afraid of horror movies anymore, you can't argue with the results of your peers. So it, 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 it was just too good and too special and I had watched it back in 2018 when it got released and I, I remember thinking oh yeah good yeah that was good I liked it and then forgot about it and then every time I recommended it and I got a glowing review back I was like man like yeah that's a great film I really like we should do it for the show and then it just happened to convene and I thought maybe we'll see what you thought of it because maybe we were also you might have thought that we were also doing too much South Korean horror so you know but I'm glad that you wanted to do it yeah I really I did enjoy this one and it's probably because I just I love found footage I love people trapped in haunted asylums it's it's my favorite thing even in real life to a certain extent you know like those ghost hunt shows where they go to trans allegheny for their anniversary episode and stuff like that like i really like that even though nothing really actually happens except for like a door closing on its own uh i i like these because you get that payoff that you that you actually want in real life that you'll never get because this sort of manifestation is fictional but I, yeah, I really did enjoy that. And I enjoyed the disclaimer at the end because this ties into real life circumstances. They had to put a disclaimer saying that this doesn't reflect the current owners of the actual building and things like that. I also like that you can take this movie watching experience a step further and go and check out some YouTube channels like a cup of dark tea talks about the actual 
history of the actual Gungium Psychiatric Hospital. And there's a really good one by a girl called Mellow Cat, who was a Canadian, Korean, I believe. If she wasn't Japanese, I'm not really sure. Uh, but she speaks Korean, I think. And she's talking to the locals in that area when she goes to investigate the asylum before the movie was released or just as the movie was released. They hadn't watched it yet, but they end up taking the same path through the back, through the forest that they take in the film to get into the building. And I really enjoyed that kind of aspect. And to watch that entire movie where, or that movie, that video on YouTube, nothing paranormal happens, but there is somebody else in the building and doors do close on their own. And it's just very neat that you can take this horror experience another step further into the real world. And you can't really do that with a lot of horror films. So what do we got next for them, Lydia? Coming up next, we have uh, a classic stage fright and not the stage fright that we had watched previously on the show, but the original, I suppose it's the actual stage fright, a very different film, but a film I've never seen before. I'm very excited for you to watch this. I promise Lydia, you know, we got to get back to basics, man. We got to, we got to like get all this modern horror, like shiny new horror smell. No, I want to smell dust. I want to smell grime. I miss the stage, the theater, the lights, the owl feathers. That's right. Stage fright. It's the perfect film for us to to return to our moldy oldie roots and also crank the weird up to bug fuck hysteria. This is one of the strangest slashers, but also one of the best slashers ever made. I'm excited. I'm excited because like we were talking about before we started recording, there are millions of slasher films, it seems. And we can't possibly have watched them all. And this is one that's been on my list for quite some time. And I've not gotten around to it. So here's a great reason to. And on that note, I'm Wes Knipe. And I'm Typical Lydia. And you've been listening to Dead Air. If you like this show, you can find more episodes and other content on splatterpictures.net. Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you download your podcasts. You can also find us on TikTok, Twitter, and Instagram. The show is edited by Lydia Peaver and hosted by Lydia Peaver and me, Wes Knipe. We'll see you next time. <laughs>